As I was trying to go to sleep last night, I was thinking that over the past two or three decades, I've lived in four states, seven cities, 11 different addresses, and regularly attended it, eight different congregations. But I want you all to know that El Bethel will always have a very special place in my heart, and everyone here means so much to me. I'm glad that I've had this time to spend with you, that I've got to know you, to eat with you, to be in your homes. Out of all the places I've lived, all the places I've gone, all the dozen or two moves I've made, this is one that I'm always going to be thankful for. Will you pray with me for just a moment? Holy Father, I want to thank you for the brethren that I have here. Thank you for their kindness. Thank you for the generosity, their hospitality. Thank you for their love. Please be with the congregation here and be with the brethren. Bless them. Keep them strong. Thank you for the elders here. Thank you for Donnie and Larry and Mitchell and George. Please bless them and give them wisdom as they shepherd your flock here. Please help everyone here to always to be more like your son, to follow you more closely. Once again, Father, I thank you for them. In your son's holy name I pray. Amen. You may want to go ahead and turn your Bible to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Go ahead and turn there. When I was a kid, in fact, really until I was probably a senior in high school and realized that, realized that maybe I needed to change a few things about this plan, for the longest time, for probably 15 years at least, what I wanted to do when I grew up, we'll see when that comes, what I wanted to do when I grew up was I wanted to be an architect. I loved looking at different buildings, looking at the way they were made. I liked drawing buildings. I liked reading books about buildings, watching videos about buildings. Even while I was in college, doing, uh, doing things that were definitely not architecture, I actually went for electives. I went and took architecture classes just because I could. Architecture, it can be very interesting to study. At least I think so. But it can tell us about cultures. It can tell us about different times. We can understand different places a little bit better. In fact, great works of architecture are famous. You know, in fact, uh, you hear about the, the wonders of the world, the seven wonders of the ancient world, wonders of the modern world. A lot of those are architecture. There's a building in Dubai called the Burj Khalifa. It was finished in 2010, designed by a man named Adrian Smith. It's the tallest building in the world, at least currently. It's 828 meters tall, 
2,717 feet. It's pretty tall. In 1930, the Chrysler Building was finished, one of the most iconic buildings in the world. It's in Manhattan, designed by a man named William Van Allen. I think it's one of the most beautiful buildings ever made. And of course, this is the Colosseum. It was finished about roughly 80 AD. It was designed for Vespasian and Titus. That's, of course, in Rome. But do you notice what's happening to it? Do you notice what it looks like? If we go back a little further, there's the Herodian Palace near Jerusalem. It was designed for Herod I, and it was finished probably about 20 BC. If we could think even further back, there are rumors and tales of the hanging gardens of Babylon, of Nebuchadnezzar's hanging gardens. We don't know if those were actually ever even built. But that's still thousands and thousands of years later. That's something that's talked about. But what I want you to notice in all of these men's architecture, all these things that men have built, notice what happens as you get older. They crumble. They start to fall apart. This architecture, it's impressive. It's really cool. If you look at, the, at the, a picture of the Great Pyramid, I mean, that thing, if you get it one with a good perspective and you can actually get a sense of scale, that thing is massive. But I mean, honestly, let's be real, it's a big pile of crumbles. That's all it is anymore. This is impressive, but ultimately, it becomes ruins. This architecture that man makes, these things that man builds, no matter how big, no matter how strong, no matter how much stone, it ultimately begins to fall apart. What I want us to consider this morning is a different architecture, or rather a different architect. I want us to consider God as an architect, as a master builder, and as a designer. So what we're going to do this morning, considering this, Let's look at man versus God, the kind of plans that are used, the kind of materials that are used, and the kind of tools that are used. Whose plans, what kind of materials, and how is it built? What kind of tools? So, whose plans are used? We've already looked at, at all those different buildings talked about how they crumble, how they fall. Well, we go with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. Hebrews 3, verse 4. And let's consider God's architecture, God's plans. Hebrews 3, verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. The builder of all things is God. So first of all, let's consider even God's physical architecture, God's physical buildings. Because God didn't just design spiritual things. God designed physical things. In fact, in Isaiah 51, we learn that God designed the world itself. God designed the world itself. Isaiah 51, verse 13. The Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And we see that a similar thing in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. God designed, God laid out the world itself. And of course, maybe more, 
more immediately coming to our mind might be God's design for the tabernacle. God's design for the tabernacle. Exodus 25. Exodus chapter 25, and we could actually read from 25 all the way to chapter 31, but we won't. 25 verse 9 of Exodus. This is what God says to Moses. According to all that I am going to show you, as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you should construct it. God gave Moses a pattern for the tabernacle, how it was to be built, and its furniture. How long, how wide, how tall, what kind of materials. God designed the, earth, this, the tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle. And he, if you read through that, he had some pretty exacting specifications. He probably had some more exacting specifications than you see on some modern blueprints. And then, of course, there's the greater fulfillment of the tabernacle, the temple. First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 28, God designed the temple. First, chap- uh, First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 19. All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. All the work to be done according to the plan. God gave a plan for how his temple was supposed to be built. The temple was where God dwelt with his people. There was the holy place, there was the most holy place that had the Ark of the Covenant, and that was where God dwelt with his people. And God gave very, very, very specific plans and methods and ways of how his tabernacle and how his temple was supposed to be built. God designed those physical things, the world itself, the tabernacle, the temple. But there's even a greater spiritual fulfillment of how he's built things. There's, God, there's God's architecture that is eternal. Because guess what? Well, we do still have the world, but we don't have the tabernacle anymore. The temple's not around anymore. But God has designed something that is eternal. Ephesians chapter 2. God has designed his spiritual temple. God has designed his spiritual temple. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. Ephesians 2, I'd like to start with verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with all the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Just like the tabernacle in the temple was where God was going to dwell with his people, with Israel, God has built a spiritual temple where he is going to dwell with his people. Go back to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2. Hebrews 8, verse 2, and this is talking about Christ. Hebrews 8, 2. Christ, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Because you remember the tabernacle, it was, a t- it was a tent that Israel could take around with them wherever they went. That was a tent that they set up, that man set up, that Moses set up, according to God's plan. 
But the Hebrew writer says that Christ is a minister in the holy places in the true tent, in the tent that the Lord set up, not man. And then go with me one chapter over to chapter 9, verse 11. Hebrews 9, I'd like to read verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. God has built himself a spiritual temple, a spiritual tent where he will dwell with his people. And he has made that to last for all eternity, not something of this creation that passes away, but something where he will dwell with his people for all eternity. That we looked at man's plans, we looked at God's plans. God has designed the church, he has designed how it's supposed to function, how it's supposed to be. God has designed the home, how it's supposed to function. God designed marriage, how it's supposed to be. And if you think about it, God designed government, not in any particular style or way, but God did say that government has a place in our life. We can't just say, oh, I don't need government. That's not something for me. I don't have to listen to that. God designed those things. And if we try to take man's plans and look, at, look to man to plan out how to run these things that God designed, we're going to have a problem. So whose plan should we follow? Who designed the things that we really need? God. But what kind of materials are supposed to be used? What kind of building materials are supposed to be used for these designs? Of course, man's, all those pictures we looked at, of course, stone, brick, wood. A lot of modern buildings use metal. Those are the kind of things that men use. But God uses something better. God uses better things. Even in God's own buildings, the physical buildings, the tabernacle and the tent, in the tabernacle and God's physical buildings, God demands even the finest materials. In the tabernacle, there was acacia wood, gold, fine leather, all sorts of richly dyed materials. Consider Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple, uh, look with me briefly to 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 5. I'd like to read verse 17. At the king's command, they quarried out, a great, uh, out great costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with dress stones. They quarried out these, these massive stones to lay the foundation with. In fact, in fact these large stones they quarried and cut they had to do all the work there. They couldn't do it on site and kind of get a rough block, take it to the site, and then fit it in there, cut some, chop some. They had to have it perfectly made there. They couldn't use, they couldn't work on the stone at the side of the temple. That was forbidden. But there was these great costly stones for the foundation. Solomon's temple used cypress and cedar wood. Everything was just coated 
and gold and silver and all sorts of precious metals. Even in God's physical buildings, he demanded the best because he deserves the best. But now think about God's spiritual buildings. God's spiritual buildings, where he also uses the best. We've already alluded to this somewhat. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ is the cornerstone of the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone of the foundation of the spiritual temple, the spiritual building that God has made. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he's quoting the prophets. He's quoting Isaiah. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the, which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone and the foundation. A cornerstone is what the building is measured from. You set out a corner, and then you pull all your dimensions from there. And of course, the foundation, it's what the building is built on top of. It's what holds the building up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10, Paul tells people about Christ. Paul told people about Christ. He compared himself to a builder, building with people on the foundation of Christ. I think sometimes maybe people struggle to understand Paul, some of Paul's, um, I guess his analogies about building, but he doesn't always use the analogy of building in the same way. But in this case, in chapter 3, he's comparing himself to a builder, building with people as the material on the foundation of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another, built, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Each Christian, each person that becomes a Christian, you might say becomes a block on that foundation, building God's spiritual temple. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 19, we see that apostles and prophets, they bring the message of Christ. The apostles and prophets bring the message of Christ. Ephesians 2, I'd like to start with verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So again, we, we read that again. Christ is the cornerstone that everything else is measured from. Christ is the standard. The apostles and prophets bringing that message of Christ, that Christ is coming, that Christ has come, is that foundation. And each Christian becomes a building, part of the building, on top of that foundation. Christ is the cornerstone and the foundation of God's building. 1 Peter chapter 2, go back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. 
God's people are the building blocks, are the living stones. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, that is Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 expresses a very similar theme. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And again, remember, God's temple is where He dwelt with His people. It was a holy place where God dwelt among His people. And in God's spiritual building, in the church, that is where God dwells among His people. So what kind of materials are used? They're spiritual. It's Christ Jesus as the foundation, the cornerstone, and it's God's people, it's us, as those building blocks. That's the kind of materials that God uses for His eternal building. And then finally, what kind of tools are used? What kind of tools are used? When man builds things, when man builds his physical buildings, what happens if bad tools are used? Well, sometimes you can get the job done. Sometimes the tool will break, but sometimes you use a bad tool, a cheap tool, a tool that's been bent or twisted, and you're going to end up having some serious problems. You know, what happens if you use a tape measure that you bought at Dollar Tree? Well, maybe it'll be right, but you might just find out that it doesn't quite line up with the standard. What happens if someone starts to build something, and they have an architect's plans, and they say, well, I don't really want to follow this plan, uh, you know, because I would like to change this, and they just decide to kind of go off on their own doing whatever they want. Well, first of all, depending where you're zoned, you might get in big trouble. But the building might fall down, the building might not function like it's supposed to. Out where I grew up, there was the, uh, the ground, there was limestone underneath, but on top of that there was a thick, thick layer of clay. And so if you weren't careful building, if you didn't follow plans exactly, what would happen is the clay would get wet and it would dry and get wet and dry and wet and dry. And over time, your house would be leaning over you know, a surprising amount. The ch your chimney on your house might fall over. If you use brick on your house, you might get a year out of it before it had cracks all through it. You would have walls and ceilings starting to pull apart because things weren't built carefully. Things weren't built following an architect's plans. That's what happens when man tries to build things and don't, doesn't use the right tools or doesn't follow the plans correctly. But again, now let's consider what God builds and how God builds. God's spiritual building, this greater fulfillment, so what kind of tools does God use? You know, we probably all know what we already talked about, about being built up as, as, as living stones. But we don't as often think about what kind of tools God uses. But in Isaiah 28, Isaiah chapter 28, we're told what kind of tools God uses. Isaiah chapter 28, I'd like to start reading in verse 16. Isaiah 28, beginning in verse 16. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. And then he says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. The kind of tools that God uses are things like justice and righteousness. He says justice is his measuring line, righteousness is his level. That's the kind of standard that God holds his building to, justice, righteousness. That's the kind of standard that God has to build his building. Those aren't cheap tools. Those aren't harbor freight tools. But what happens if God's plans aren't followed? What happens if we take God's plans and say, uh, you know, it's okay, but I want to make a change here, and I want to make a change here, and I want to make a change here. What happens if God's plans aren't followed? I'll suggest to you that it's something even worse, something far worse than what happens if man's plans aren't followed. We said if man's plans aren't fo followed, the building might fall. If God's plans aren't followed, the building definitely will fall. There's no might there. There's no maybe there. The building will fall. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, toward the end of the chapter, verse 24. Matthew 7, I'd like to start with verse 24. You've probably already been thinking about this. You could also look at Luke 6, 46 for the same account. Matthew 7, beginning verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. There are two places we can build a house, two plans we can follow. We can build our house on a rock or on sand. The plans we can follow, we can follow God's, or we can follow any other plan. If God's plans aren't followed, the house will fall. Again, God designed the church, but if, if we try to look at God's plan and decide we want to make changes, we want to make some additions and some modifications, maybe take out something, add something, then there's going to be a serious problem. Because then you're not really following God's plans anymore. You're just following your own plan. What happens in the home if we take God's plans and then we decide, well, it's okay, but I think I have a better idea. I want to change some things. The building will fall. If we take God's plan for even how the government, how our relationship with government, and we say, well, that's it might work for some people, but you know, I have some better ideas. That building will fall. What happens when God's plans aren't followed? 
the building will fall. We've looked at the plans that are used. Whose plans are better? We've looked at what kind of materials. What kind of materials are better? And we've looked at the tools. How is the building built? How do you build an eternal building? God destroys man's foundations, and that's contrasted with his foundation standing. Because eventually everything that man builds, whether it's their institutions, whether it's their physical buildings, they fall and they crumble. But the things that God builds stands. Physical things pass away, but spiritual things remain. We look with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. Hebrews 1, beginning with verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. God designed physical things, but he designed those to pass away. But he designed their greatest fulfillment of, of heaven, spiritual things. He designed them to remain. Go with me now to Hebrews chapter 11. As we close out our lesson, I want us to consider Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 9. By faith, he, that is Abraham, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's what Abraham was looking for. Abraham left his country, left his homeland, and then spent the rest of his life dwelling in tents, dwelling in a temporary building, dwelling in something that would pass away. Abraham lived his whole life in a building you could pack up, in a building that would wear out. But he was looking for a city with foundations. He wasn't looking for a city in the land of Canaan with foundations. He was looking for God's city. Is that the kind of city that we're looking for? Is that the kind of city that I'm looking for? Is that the kind of city that you're looking for? Do we follow the architect's plans when we're trying to build our life? Have we built our house on a firm foundation? Have we built our house on a rock, or are we building it on sand? Because we can build with God's plans on a rock, or we can build our life on sand. If we try to build our life on anything but Jesus, it's going to fall. If we try to build it on our work, if we try to build it on the entertainment we like, if we try to build it on our social status, if we try to build it on, on sports, on playing sports, and if we try to build it on anything but Jesus, it's going to fall.
we might as well build our life on spider webs and sand and dust. Go with me now to one last verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We need to seek the city whose architect and builder is God. Is that the city that we're looking for? Is that the city that you're looking for? We really have to ask ourselves this one question. Where am I building my house? Where am I building my house? Where am I building my life? There may be someone here this morning who realizes that they've been building their house, they've been building their life on something that's not Jesus, that's something that's not designed by God, that they've been following plans that aren't God's plans for how life is supposed to be. They haven't been following God's standards for their life. They haven't been using God's tools to build their life. If you realize that you need to become a Christian to have your sins washed away, to follow God's plan that he's designed for salvation, we'd love to help you do that. If you are a Christian, you need prayers for strength, for help, to keep building on the rock, to keep following God's plan, to keep using God's tools, we would love to pray for you. But if there's anything that we can do for anyone, won't you please come while we stand and sing?